If you would, please turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, we're going to continue where we left off last week. We'll start in verse 22. If you could, please stand for the reading of God's word this morning. Starting in verse 22. Wives... Submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it. Just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each, of, each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Dear Father, our Lord, God, we come to this passage, Lord, this morning and and through this whole series uh, on marriage, Lord, knowing just how weighty uh, the marriage covenant is, Lord, I pray that we as a church see that that marriage is beyond us. It's a testimony of Christ's love for the church. It's a a testimony of of your grace and goodness and love, uh, God, that we would would feel that weight in our marriage. And as we look, Lord, at these commands given, wives submit to your husbands, husbands love your wives, that we would look at these commands in all humility, knowing that because of the fall, these two simple commands are so hard to obey. Lord, I pray that those who are listening to this sermon, those that have put their faith in your son that have been regenerated, that have the spirit living within them, that they would submit to that spirit, be filled with that spirit, Lord, to fulfill their roles as husband and wife, Lord, in their marriage. God, I pray this morning as we walk through these commands that you would bring conviction, Lord, where there needs to be, that we would hear your words, that we would trust you, even though this is so countercultural even though this goes so much against the message that we hear daily uh, through the media, through social media, through our friends, Lord, that, that we would still understand the purpose of marriage and submit to that, Lord. God, we pray this all in your son's name. Amen. You may be seated. Before we get started in the sermon this morning, uh, I just want to make a quick announcement. Uh, tonight we have a members-only meeting a members-only meeting, and we will be uh, uh, going through a, a church discipline uh, 
issue. And so I would encourage, in fact, uh, I would call on the church uh, to be there tonight. Uh, this is a, a body issue, meaning uh, if you're a member, um, uh, this is your responsibility to be a part of this. Now, of course, there may be circumstances where it's impossible for you to come tonight. There's grace in that, but uh, make all effort you can as a church member to be here tonight. Uh, I would say this. If you don't know if you're a church member or not, um, you're probably not, first of all. <laughs> and second of all, uh, if you're really questioning that, I would ask you to come and talk to an elder and ask because we will have a list of our members um, at the door and only members will be allowed in because we want to make sure that we're not gossiping, uh, that we are to go to the person one-on-one, -on -one, we are to go to the person with two, and, and this has happened uh, more than just that. We've gone to these people over and over and over again. Uh, the last step is to bring it to the church, and so we want to make sure it's only Country Oaks that is here tonight. Um, so that uh, uh, we are not gossiping beyond that. Um, so again, I would encourage you as your pastor uh, to be here tonight um, for how difficult uh, this is for the leadership and for the church. It's our calling and it's important. So with that said, uh, six o'clock, there will be childcare all the way up. Uh, so we'll have childcare all the way through high school. Uh, so if you um, have children that aren't members of the church, uh, they are welcome to be a part of the child care. If you have children that are members of the church, they are welcome to be a part of this. Um, and so with that said, today we're continuing our four-part sermon series on marriage. And uh, my goal today is to get a little bit more practical uh, than the last two sermons. The first two sermons, we really looked at uh, deep theological uh, subjects, and I wanted to really, in those two sermons, lay the foundation of marriage and answer two questions. The first question, what is marriage? And the second question, why marriage? Uh, so two weeks ago, we started in Genesis, and uh, I tried to answer the question from God's word, what is marriage? And we found in Genesis that marriage is a one flesh, intimate, covenant relationship between a man and a woman, one man, one woman, anything outside of that is not marriage. I want to be clear, in our culture, we have to hear that. Genesis 2.24 says this, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. So that was two weeks ago we answered the question, what is marriage? Last week my goal was to answer the question, why marriage? Why did God create marriage in the first place? Why did he make it one woman, one man in a covenant relationship? What was the purpose of marriage? Why marriage? And we learned that marriage, more than anything else, is a testimony of Christ's love for the church. Ephesians 5.32, what I just read, says this. This mystery is profound, and he's referring to marriage. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church, and, and that means your marriage is so much bigger than you. Your marriage is not about you, it's about Christ and the church. It's a testimony of God's grace on his people, God's love for his people, Christ's love for the church, his bride. And we need to feel the weightiness of that. In fact, the sermon I preached last week it's the very first thing I do at every premarital counseling uh, council I have. 
when the couple comes in, we go through that. I just preached to them the sermon I preached to you guys last week because I want them to feel the weightiness of marriage before they make that, that commitment to each other, before they make that covenant. And I had a bunch of you that I uh, have done premarital counseling come up to me and say, that was very familiar. <laughs> well, it is. Today, I want to answer the question, how marriage? Now, I know that doesn't make sense, but how are we to fulfill our roles in the marriage covenant as husband and wife? Again, I want to get a little more practical than we have been. And I, uh, as I was preparing for this sermon and thinking through it, um, uh, what to say about marriage, uh, I was reminded of a lecture I recently heard from a man named uh, Ian Hamilton, which a lot of you know who this man is, a lot of you don't. He's a Scottish a theologian, and more than that, he's a pastor. Uh, for a few of us, we got the privilege to go down to Bakersfield. He's actually friends with a pastor down in Bakersfield, and there's about, I would say, 25, 30 of us um, in a room with this man, and, and this is a huge privilege uh, for us. He got to uh, speak on a, a Scottish Presbyterian history on something called the Merrill Controversy, and I don't even want to get into that. Uh, it was a great lecture. Uh, to be honest, I don't remember a whole lot of it, even though it was good, but he did say something that really stuck out to me. In this lecture, he started to talk about marriage, and just as a pastor of pastors, he was giving us pastoral advice on how to be a pastor when it comes to marriage, and, and he said something that really kind of caught me off guard, because he said that he personally doesn't read any books on marriage. Now, that caught me off guard because I've read so many books on marriage as a pastor trying to figure out my own marriage, but then also how to counsel other people in marriage. And so I've read book after book after book after book on marriage. So when he said, I, have, I don't read any books on marriage, uh, it caught me off guard. And, and then he said, why? He said this, marriage is simple. Simply wives submit and respect your husbands. Husbands love your wives. He said, marriage is just that simple, and pastors, you need to help your congregation to do that. And it was really profound to me, probably partly because he has a Scottish accent. <laughs> so with a Scottish accent, when you say something that is, is really simple like that, it just sounds super wise. <laughs> now, I don't have a Scottish accent, so I'm going to spend an hour explaining why that is. <laughs> Therefore, we're going to look at the two commands we see in Ephesians 5. Uh, I have three points this morning. God's command to the wife. God's command to wives. Second point, God's command to husbands. And then finally, the last point, God's command to husbands and wives. And so we'll end there. But let's start with the first command that God gives, and that's God's command to wives. Verse 22, simply, wives, submit to your own husbands. This is Paul's command, inspired by God, to wives. And when you think about it, Ian Hamilton is right. That's a pretty simple command. Again, wives are to submit. It's countercultural, even hated. There may be even some of you that are scheming in your seats right now. In our progressive culture, we, we hate this command. It may even be a, an extremely hard command to obey for some, but it's simple. It's biblical. It comes from God. And we're not allowed to pick and choose what we like and dislike about God's word. Faith tells us to trust and obey the whole counsel of God, not just the parts we like. 
Now, the word translated submit in Greek is hupotasso. Hupotasso, it's a military term. It means to submit to the orders or directives of someone in authority. So again, wives, submit to your own husbands. Now, the word own is important. You're not to submit to just anyone, to any man or any husband, but your own husband. And you are to submit to him as to the Lord. Now, admittedly, that's strong language, as to the Lord. What does it mean to submit as to the Lord? Well, let me start by what it can't mean. It can't mean to to the same degree as to the Lord. Because our ultimate allegiance is to God, not man. He is our Lord. In fact, Peter says this in Acts 5, 49 about uh, to the authorities he tells the authorities who who tell him to do something that goes against God's command he says this we must obey God rather than men in other words if you are ever get in a place where you are in conflict between God's command and the command of an earthly authority according to Peter and the apostles you must obey God rather than men So then as to the Lord can't mean to the same degree. So what does it mean? Well, one of the best ways of understanding uh, something is uh, using Scripture to uh, interpret Scripture. In fact, this is a a hermeneutical principle that we should be using all the time to use Scripture, to interpret Scripture, especially a a near context. Use the near context to interpret a a portion of Scripture that you're not sure what it's saying. And and if you would, look at verse 21, because I think the near context gives us uh, exactly what Paul is saying here. It says this in verse 21. Will read it earlier. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Reverence, uh, the Greek word is phobos. It's where we get the word phobia from. It's the word fear. Out of fear of Christ. Out of the fear of the Lord. Out of reverence. Of Christ. In other words, we are to obey our earthly authorities. We are to submit out of our reverence, out of our obedience, out of our love for Christ. And that's so important. We don't submit because the authority has proven his worth as a leader. In fact, I was thinking about it this morning as I was preaching first service. Uh, and I was thinking about all the weddings I have done and, and how many times you see a, like a 19-year-old marrying a 20-year-old or, or someone that is super young like that and you, you have this father walking this girl down the aisle who has spent 19, 20 years in authority over her, loving her, getting her to this place where, where she is ready to be married and then she hands him off to this 19-year-old, and he's now an authority at the end of the the sermon. He has not earned it (laughs) at all. We don't submit because the authority has earned it, or the authority is trustworthy, or the authority is honorable and deserves our submission. No, we submit out of our reverence for Christ. Let me show you what I mean. If you would, turn to 1 Peter 3, verse 1. 1 Peter 3, verse 1. I want to turn here because Peter, the Apostle Peter, says something very similar to Paul. Again, both inspired by God, so this should not be surprising. This is God's word. We see a very similar command from Peter to wives. Peter says this in verse 1, 1 Peter 3, verse 1. 
Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husband. Now, be subject is the same word, be submissive, used in Ephesians. Likewise, wives, be subject, be submissive to your own husbands. Again, this is a similar command, but there's a word I want to point out that's very important, and it's the word likewise. Likewise. In the original letter that Peter wrote, there was no chapter breaks. That came later for us to just help us find where things are at. And sometimes chapter breaks aren't helpful, and this is one of those times, because this word is a transitional word. It's a comparative word. It means in the same way. In other words, Peter has one long thought that he's going through right now, and to understand what he's saying, you have to go back to what he has said. Therefore, if you would, turn to 1 Peter 2.13. This is what comes just before his command to wives. 1 Peter 2, chapter 2, verse 13, he says this, be subject, there's that same word, be subject, it's hupatasso, again, it's the same word used in Ephesians 5, it's the same word Peter uses in, in chapter 3, verse 1, be subject for who? For whose sake? Be subject for the Lord's sake. For the Lord's sake, did you hear that? This is our motivation it's our motivation. It's obedience to Christ. And wives, I want you to hear, me, you, to hear me right now. I keep using the word we. We. It's not because I'm a wife, by the way. It's because we're all subject to some authority. We are to be subject. We are to submit out of obedience to Christ for the Lord's sake. We, we submit to our earthly authority. It's out of our love for Christ. Just like in Ephesians 2.21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Not because that authority has earned it. Not because they're trustworthy. But out of reverence for Christ. Again, look at verse 13. Be subject for the Lord's sake, to every human institution, whether it be the emperor as supreme or to the governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to shame the ignorance of foolish people. In other words, that you may be a witness. Verse 16, live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Well, therefore, you know, how are we to live as servants of God? Well, verse 17, honor everyone, love the brethren, fear God, honor the emperor. Now, I want to be really clear here. The emperor during this time period was evil. He was evil. Not just evil, very evil. So evil, in fact, that he would make any of our worst politicians in Washington look like sane, moral, good men. In comparison, the emperor of Rome was not a godly man at all. He was not an honorable man. He was an evil man. Yet, for the Lord's sake, Peter is calling the church to submit and to honor him. Again, verse 17, honor everyone, love the brethren, fear God, honor the emperor. 
Then Peter says this in verse 18, servants, be subject, same word, be subject to your masters with all respect. In other words, the church is to submit and honor to the emperor, even, even though he's evil. And in a similar way, servants are to submit and respect their masters. Again, verse 18, servants be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. I mean, that's a hard command. Therefore, Peter adds this, verse 19, for this is a gracious thing when mindful of God. In other words, God is in the front of your mind. I'm doing this for the sake of Christ. One endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. Listen, in the first century, if you were a servant, if you were a slave and a believer and you had no hope of freedom, you were to be subject to your master with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. Here's what I think. I think one day we're going to get to heaven and there's going to be rewards for those that were faithful. And we're going to be shocked at who has the greatest rewards in heaven. I think you're going to see slaves that were Christians, that had no hope for freedom, that listened and obeyed this sermon, this, this word of God from Peter. Out of reverence for God, mindful for God, they were respectful to their master. Verse 20, for what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. There is great reward in heavens for, for a person like this. People who have such a high view of God that they show honor and respect to a master who does not deserve it, who is unjust, who is evil. And again, Peter knows this is a hard calling. I mean, you can just imagine as, as this would have been read to the church and there would be servants in the church hearing this. So Peter gives an example. Verse 21. For to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example. So that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, and let me just put in there, unjustly, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Christ is our example. He suffered unjustly, but he continued to do what is right. He was faithful to his calling he didn't revile, he didn't threaten, but instead he continued entrusting himself to him, his father, God, who judges justly. In other words, who will right every wrong. 
Verse 24, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed for you were strained like sheep but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Chapter 3, verse 1, likewise. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husband. In other words, follow Christ's example. You see what Peter is doing here? He went from being subject to a corrupt and evil government uh, verse 17, honor everyone, love the brethren, fear God, honor the emperor. And this was to be a testimony. He goes from there to, to uh, a servant's relationship with his master. Verse 18, servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. Again, as a testimony. Then he goes from there to Jesus as an example. Verse 22, Jesus committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. And because of that, many were saved. And from here he goes to wives. Verse 1, likewise, wives, be subject, submit to your own husbands. Here's the implication. Even if he doesn't deserve it. Even if he, he doesn't deserve your respect and honor, you are to be submissive anyways. Again, verse 1, likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that if some do not obey the word, in other words, they, they are not godly husbands. They, they are not even saved. Even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. In other words, wives, your pure conduct, your respectful submission may win over your husband without a word. Now, this is one of the few places that, that I, I see that phrase, without a word, because typically we are to proclaim the gospel, and the gospel is the power of salvation. This is one of the few places that your conduct is so powerful, it can change someone's life. Therefore, verse 3, do not let your adorning be external. The braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which in God's sight is very precious. Did you hear that? The imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit is very precious to God. That's true beauty. That's true beauty. Listen, if you're a young lady listening to me right now, inspire to that. That's true beauty. If you're a young man, look for that. 
Or just think about it for a second. It's pretty unattractive when a woman is a gossiper, a slanderer, a complainer, a nagger, or a reviler. But instead, beauty is found when a, when, a, when a lady is so confident in the Lord that she is slow to speak and just has a gentle and quiet spirit about her, a gentle and quiet demeanor. That's beautiful. That's precious. In fact, I knew this wasn't going to be a popular sermon I was going to preach this morning. And so you think about these sermons all week, and I talk about this a lot, and and I just happened to, to go to a funeral yesterday. In fact, many of us went to a funeral yesterday for Janice Jones. I, we got there, and there was like a couple hundred people at this funeral. We were late, um, and, and we started pulling into a, to a, a church that I know pretty well. It's probably similar size to this uh, room in here. And, and we pull in, and I'm like, there's no parking. And, and we keep going and going. And then I, I never even realized there is like additional parking in the dirt because there's no parking that we had to go park. And I'm like, oh, they must be having like some other special event. Nope. The place was full. If you didn't know or have the privilege of knowing Mrs. Jones as I knew her, you really missed out. I mean, she was just a great example. A founding member of this church, and if you knew her, she was just a quiet servant. In fact, if she was here right now, she'd be mad that I am speaking about her at all. (laughs) Always behind the scenes, a stay-at-home mom who never looked for attention, ever. His funeral was amazing. How much honor and respect was given to this quiet lady? She was 82. Normally when you go to someone's funeral that is 82, by that time there's family and a few friends that come to that funeral. It's a small funeral. This is one of the largest funerals I've been to. How many lives she touched just by being a faithful servant. She never got into church politics. I don't think she ever expressed her opinion on anything. She just loved people for years. At this funeral, I was just reminded that her adorning was the hidden person of her heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. And being at that funeral, I realized it was precious to every single person who was there. In fact, there was three pastors that have pre- or been pastors here at Country Oaks, Andy, me, and, and, and Brent. And, and I didn't even get to speak. I didn't have the honor or privilege to speak because I was low man on the totem pole. We all three had the utmost respect for her. Wives, let me just ask a probing question. Can you say that your beauty is found in having a quiet and gentle spirit? Do you show respect and honor to your husband for the Lord's sake? even if he doesn't deserve it, even if he's not obeying the word, or or do you tear him down with your words and actions? Do you belittle him with how you treat him? Do you constantly nag him or uh, or complain about who he is or who he isn't? 
because that's not the conduct of a godly wife. Again, verse 4, let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. Now turn back to Ephesians 5, verse 22. Ephesians 5, verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord or out of reverence for the Lord or out of your love for Christ, for the sake of of the Lord. Submit to your own husband. Verse 23, for the husband is the head of the wife even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Again, the command is so easy to understand. It's simple. Yet because of the fall, it is not easy to obey. It's only by the grace of God and the spirit living within us, the power that God has through our salvation, that we can submit in this way. But wives, that's your command. That's your calling. Again, The first point this morning is God's command to wives. The second point is God's command to husbands. Look at verse 25. Husbands, love your wives. Again, simple. Love your wives. Simple, but difficult. Now, before we look at this command, there's something I want to point out in verses 23 and and 22. Again, just meditating, uh, I kind of asked a bunch of questions, and there's a question I had in these two verses. Again, verse 22 says, Wives, submit to your own husband as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, Paul is using the same analogy he used in Ephesians 1.22. We covered that last week. Again, Christ is the head, the church is the body. That's the analogy. The, the husband is the head, the, the wife is the body. As I said last week, there's an intimate relationship between the head and the body. The head and the body are intimately connected. Now, think of marriage. When a man leaves his family and cleans to his wife, they become one flesh, just like the head is one flesh with the body. The husband, again, is the head, the wife is the body, meaning the husband is now responsible for the wife, to direct, to lead his wife, his body. Again, look at verse 23. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, what does Paul mean by that? He's inspired by God. He puts this last phrase in there, and is himself its savior. Well, I think it foreshadows the husband's role. Again, verse 25, husbands love your wife as Christ loved the church. But let me just ask the question. When Adam and Eve sinned, who was ultimately at fault? Who, who, who does the Bible lay blame, the, the blame on for that sin? Adam. Adam, right? In fact, God came to Adam first in the garden. Think about that. 
Adam and Eve sins, it seems like they are together, hiding together, if you read Genesis 3, and God comes and doesn't say Adam and Eve. He says Adam, and confronts him first, then the woman, then the serpent. Why? Because he was responsible for Eve. He's the head. He's the leader. And what did Adam do? Did he take responsibility? No, we're familiar with Genesis 3.12. He blames Eve. And Genesis 3.12 says this, And the man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, it's her fault. Adam blamed Eve. He, he didn't take responsibility. Instead, he blamed his wife. He, he threw her under the bus and said, this is all her fault. Now, let me ask another question. How did the second Adam handle the sins of his bride? How did Christ address the church's sins? Did he throw the church under the bus? Did he complain to the Father about her sins and her blemishes, which there are many? Did he say, she's impossible to love, God, why'd you give me her? No, what did he do? As the head of the church, he sacrificed everything for his bride. He said, I will take responsibility for her. He paid the price the church owed, even though he was sinless. He died on the cross. He paid the church's penalty of sin. Listen, that's how Christ loved the church. He loved the church sacrificially. He took responsibility of the church and he died for her. Again, verse 23. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Let me say this. In Ephesians 5, there's a command to the wives. Again, wives, submit to your own husband. And there's a command to the husbands. Husband, love your wives. But listen, this is so important. Men, the ultimate responsibility for the health of your marriage lies on your shoulders as the husband. Because you are the head. And one day you will be held accountable for how you led your family for how you loved your wife. So let's look at the command. Verse 25. Husbands, love your wives. Again, simple. But this command would have been really unexpected, to say the least, in the first century. In the first century, husbands ruled over their wives. They treated their wives almost like servants or property. In fact, the word love is, is never used in the Greco-Roman household codes in the Roman culture as a duty of the husband towards the wife. Therefore, verse 25 was, was very countercultural in the first century. So I want you to think about that for a second because verse 22, wives submit. Counterculture in our modern culture, a progressive culture, influenced by feminism, a hated, despised command in our culture... Verse 25, husbands love, countercultural in Paul's culture, an ancient culture, a male-dominant culture, very countercultural, uh, unexpected, and maybe even offensive. Yet the Bible finds perfect balance. In fact, perfectly offending both cultures. <laughs> or maybe better yet, perfectly correcting 
both cultures. Again, husbands, that's your calling. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That's our example. Christ gave himself up for her, the church, his bride. He loved his bride sacrificially. John 10, 11 says this, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The sheep is the church. The good shepherd is Jesus who lays down his life. He's our example. He willingly laid down his life for his bride. He could have stopped it at any moment. He gave himself up for her. And it's this type of love that we are to show to our wives. John 15, 13 says this, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friend. That someone would lay down his life for his bride, his friend. In fact, if you would, turn with me to John chapter 13. John chapter 13, we'll start at the beginning of the chapter, verse 1. Here's why I want to turn here. I was just thinking about this again. And, and if it came down to it, I, I just believe, I think most men would sacrifice their lives for their wives. I think they would jump in front of a moving vehicle for them. I think they would take a bullet. I think they would run into a burning building if their family was in there, if their wife was in there. In fact, I think many, I don't know if I would say most, but I think many men would, would die for a stranger. We see people tackling gunmen that are coming in for mass shootings and putting their life in danger for strangers. But here's my question. Are you willing to give yourself up for your wife daily? Daily picking up your cross for your wife out of your love. Look at verse 1. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew... It's important. Jesus had knowledge at this point of what was coming. When Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, listen to this. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Right, this is our example. Remember this, men. Jesus was characterized by love for the bride, for his disciples, for the church. He loved his disciples. He loved the church, his bride, to the end. Verse 2. During supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of a Judas Iscariot, Simon's brother, to betray him, Jesus, again, knowing, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God. Let me just say this. He knew he was about to die for the church and he knew that all his disciples that night would abandon him, would betray him, would leave him. In fact, he knew that very night, he, 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 he prophesied to Peter that before the roaster crowed, that Peter would deny him three times, that he would curse Jesus' name. 
Jesus knew all this was about to happen as he was going to die for these people that were going to betray him. And what does he do? Verse 4. He rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments. And taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet. Jesus, out of his love, verse 1, having loved his own, he began to wash the disciples' nasty, dirty feet. A job reserved only for slaves because it was undignified for anyone else to do. And he did this knowing that they were all within hours about to sin against him, about to curse his name. That's our example, husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Again, I am convinced that most Christian men would sacrifice their lives for their wives. They would jump in front of a train, they would take a bullet. But I also believe that, that most Christian men struggle to sacrifice their lives daily in the smaller things. They struggle to give themselves up daily for the bride. They refuse to give up their personal time. They refuse to sacrifice their own careers. They refuse to give up their hobbies to spend more time with their bride. They don't look for ways to show love and consideration. They refuse to put in effort to love their wives, to cherish their wives. They don't put their wives first when they get home after work. It just becomes me time. They refuse to give up their comforts. They refuse to help out around the house. They don't sacrifice time and energy to watch the kids, to, to give mom a break. Maybe just to do devotions. Listen, many men would, would take a bullet for their wives, but they refuse to do the dishes for her. They refuse to die daily. They refuse to sacrifice daily. And here's something that is important to understand. Men, you, all of us need to understand this, but men, I'm talking to you right now. A person's character is not found in, in the one or two big moments of their lifetime. No, men, we, we have to understand this. A person's character is found in the thousands of decisions they make daily. Do you daily decide to love your wife sacrificially? Daily giving her your best at personal cost. No matter how difficult she may be at times. I think of the church, how ugly it was. Remember, the disciples were about to betray Jesus. Peter was about to curse Jesus' name and he washed their feet anyways. That's our example. He loved the bride sacrificially. Now turn back to Ephesians 5.
Ephesians 5, verse 25, again, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. He loved her again with a sacrificial love, but it's not the only type of love he loved her with. He also loved her in another way. Christ loved the church with a sanctifying love. In other words, men, we are called to lead, to lead our wives to sanctification. Verse 26, that he might sanctify her. In other words, make her holy, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she, she might be holy and without blemish. And then verse 28, in the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. Men, we are responsible for our wives' sanctification. We are responsible to love her in a sanctifying way. We are called to follow Jesus' example and, and cleanse our bride by the washing of water with the word. Man, let me just ask a question. Is your home saturated with God's word? If someone just came and saw a day in your life or, or the whole week and just observed, would they say that, that God's word is a priority at your household? Are you the spiritual leader? Are you leading your wives to holiness, both by your loving conduct and by your faithful leadership? Do you lead your family in family worship? Do you pray with your wife? Do you sing praises with her? Let me just say this. I'm the, I'm the worst singer in this room. But we sing in our household. Do you read God's word to her? Do you make sure that, that the church coming together, that the church is a priority for your family and for your wife? Do you make sure you take her to a church that will, that will sanctify her by God's word every Sunday? Or men, are you being lazy in your duty to sanctify your wife? Husbands, let me just say this. If you don't know how to do this, if you're convicted right now, but you're like, I don't even know where to start in this, get help. Speak up. That's the first step of leadership, going, I need to do this. I need to find a way of doing this. Come ask one of the elders. We would love to come alongside you and help you. Ask for someone to disciple you. Because in verse 28, it says this, in the same way as Christ sanctified the church, in the, in the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church because we are members of his body. Listen, when my body's hungry, my head tells it where to go to get food. We are to nourish our wives Lead them to God's word. We are to cherish our wives by making her sanctification a priority. 
And I, I just want to be clear. You are the leaders of your household. And that doesn't mean you get to pick where you're going to eat. No, it means that one day, you need to hear this, one day you'll be face to face with God and have to give an account of how you led your wife to holiness. So that's God's command to the husband. This brings me to my last point this morning. God's command to the husbands and wives. Look at verse 31. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is Genesis. Paul is quoting Genesis. This is my sermon two weeks ago on what marriage is. Marriage is a one flesh covenant relationship between one man and one woman. That's what marriage is is verse 32 this mystery of marriage this mystery is profound and i'm saying that it refers to christ and the church this is my sermon last week this is why marriage why why god invented the covenant of marriage paul tells us this mystery is profound and i'm saying it refers to christ and the church meaning your marriage is not about you it's bigger than you and finally verse 33 this is the how of marriage however let each one of you Love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Simply, husbands, love your wives. Wives, respect and submit to your husbands. Marriage is just that simple. I started talking about Ian Hamilton this morning and and what he said about marriage, it really stuck with me. Here's a man I respect, a, a pastor for many years, and I think he's right. I, the how of marriage is that simple. It's not easy, but it's simple. Husbands, love your wives. Wives, respect and submit to your husbands. So here's my challenge as we end today. It's a challenge I give to every single person who is hearing this sermon online, in this room, a recording. I challenge you to go to your spouse this week and ask him or her how you are doing. This may be dangerous, I want to be clear. In fact, all kidding aside, if you ask these questions and it leads to a major fight, you may need to get some discipleship you may need to go and find some help. But listen, it's your calling to know. Wives, how are you going to respect your husbands if you don't know where you are being disrespectful? Husbands, how are you going to love your wife if you don't know where you are being unloving? Therefore, prepare your hearts to not be defensive, maybe to not respond at all, but definitely not responding with excuses. Instead, just listen. Wives, ask your husbands, in what ways can I show you more respect? In what ways am I not submitting to your leadership? And then husbands, listen. Take notes and commit to work on it. And by the way, wives... Uh, or men, let's 
through this. Men, ask your wives, in what way can I show you better my love? In what ways am I not cherishing you and nourishing you the way I am called to? And let, let me say this to you wives. Tell him. Just tell him. It's okay to tell him. He doesn't have to figure it out by reading your mind. He can't do that. Tell him. In what ways, husbands, ask your wives, in what ways do I need to step up in my spiritual leadership of the family? And men, prepare your hearts not to be defensive. Listen. Take notes. And work on it. Again, verse 33. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Let's pray. Father, Lord, God, my heart is heavy this morning. Lord, as I know of many marriages that are struggling, Lord, which tells me that there are many more marriages that are struggling that haven't spoken up yet. God, it's clear in your word in Genesis 3 that that marriage after the fall would be a struggle. That our flesh, our selfish desires, Lord, would cause us to sin against the, the most important person in our lives, our spouse. To think of ourselves first before them. To not respect and not love. But I pray, Lord, as a a redeemed people, as a regenerate people, as a people whose hearts have been softened and the spirit lives within us, that we would go to you for the power, Lord, to do that. To respect and submit our husbands, to love our wives as Christ loved the church. Then in all humility, Lord, we would strive to do our best, Lord, knowing it's by grace that we can do anything. God, we pray this in your son's name. Amen.